Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Psalm 46. And as you're turning there or getting there, many of you are probably very familiar with Martin Luther. Martin Luther was famous for nailing his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany in 1517, launching the Protestant Reformation. And we think about Luther, we think about grace alone and faith alone, and we we kind of equate the book of Galatians and the book of Romans with Martin Luther, that great hero of the faith. But what you may not know is that he was heavily influenced by the Psalms. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the most famous hymns of the faith that has stood the test of time was written by Martin Luther. And it had Psalm 46, the psalm we're going to look at this morning, as its foundation. You know this, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Luther paints this picture of a big God, a sovereign God. A mighty fortress is our God. And so as we continue this sermon series that we started last week when we looked at Psalm 23, we're calling it, Hope in the Psalms, we're going to go to the Psalter, to the Psalms, to find hope and encouragement in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. And as I've reached out to many of you, there are some legitimate fears in light of what's going on right now. I don't know if you've lost your job, or you've been furloughed, or you've been laid off or even you've had to apply for unemployment, or you own a small business, a major fear right now is economic uncertainty. Economic uncertainty. Not only in your own personal life, but just on the national stage. Are we heading towards another Great Depression? Or is it going to be merely a recession? Will the economy bounce back? Will I be able to pay my bills? Will I get my job back? There's a lot of things as as we begin to kind of reopen the economy and reopen society. There's still those fears. And so today we want to ask the question, well, how can I have hope in the midst of financial and economic uncertainty and anxiety? And I think Psalm 46 addresses this legitimate fear head on. So let's read together Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. 
There is a river whose streams makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now here's the main point, the overarching theme, the big idea of this psalm. We can rest confidently in the supreme power of our ever-present Lord. We can rest confidently in the supreme power of our ever-present Lord. And if you notice, when I read the passage of Scripture, I, I said Selah, which is actually there in your Bible. And that helps us determine the structure of this psalm. It's broken up in three parts, verses 1 through 3. It's part 1 with the Selah after verse 3. Verses 4 through 7 is part 2 with the Selah after verse 7. And then verses 8 through 11 is the third part followed by uh, Selah. So, so the psalm is easily structured. And it really gives us three ways that we can rest confidently in our supreme God. In the supreme power of our Lord who is a mighty fortress. Now, you may ask the question, well, what's a Selah? What's a Selah doing there? A Selah in the Psalms, is, is, it's meant for us to pause. It's kind of like an intermission. It means for you to kind of take your breath, pause, and think about what you just read before you just move on. And so let's explore these three ways that we can rest confidently in the supreme power of our ever-present Lord. Here's the first. This is in verses 1 through 3. We can rely on the strength of God during times of anxiety and turmoil. We can rely on the strength of God during times of anxiety and turmoil. Now, the psalmist assumes here that we're going to go through trials, that we're going to go through times of anxiety, that there's going to be some difficult times that we're going to be going through. So this psalm is very realistic, but notice what it says. God is our refuge and strength. Now, there's two words there. God is our refuge and God is our strength. Now, what's the difference between those two words? Well, the first term, God is our refuge, this conveys the idea that God shelters us from trial. There are certain times in your life where God will protect you from those trials. He's like a shelter. He's like a, a force field around you, if you will, where he, you're going to be protected from trials and tribulation and pain and anxiety. That's what the word refuge means. Now, the word strength, 
more speaks about the internal power that God gives you to go through trials. So sometimes God will protect you from trials, but other times God will give you the strength to go through trials. But notice what it says. He's a very present help in times of trouble. He's ever-present. He's always with you. He's the unchanging, always-present God who's always going to be with you, whether that's protecting you from or giving you strength through, he's always with you. Now, notice the imagery. We will not fear. We're not going to fear. Now, now, what are some reasons to fear, the psalm says here? Though the earth gives way, that kind of sounds like an earthquake. The mountains be moved into the sea, into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I mean, graphic imagery of, of, of the earth in convulsions, like natural disasters, like earthquakes and tsunamis. If the whole world is being destroyed by this shaking and tottering, we will not fear. It's almost like the third day of creation in reverse, okay? And it's, it's a picture of what's going to happen at the end times when God does destroy the world with fire. But it tells us something about the chaotic, shaky, uncertain world in which we live. Okay, we live in a world of broken promises. We live in a world of chaos. We live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world right now of coronavirus. We live in a world right now with a worldwide pandemic. And as you think about the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea and the waters roaring and foaming, this picture of this imagery of the chaotic scene, it's almost like the mountains themselves are drowning. Now, I grew up in Colorado Springs, and I can't imagine Pikes Peak drowning in the ocean. But think about it. How many of you feel like that today? You're drowning. You're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And you're like, a, all you're doing is you're just drowning in a sea of fear, especially financial fear. Am I going to pay my bill? Am I going to get food on the table? Am I going to get my job back? What's going to happen to the economy? Maybe I had a lot of money in the stock market. Maybe I'm about to retire, and I'm not sure if, 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 my, if I can retire right away because my retirement has tanked. And I lost all that that I had accumulated. What does the psalm tell us to do? Don't fear. Don't fear. Why? Because God's a refuge. God's a strength. God is there, present with you through this trouble. He's a refuge. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. When you trust in the Lord as your everlasting rock, 
you're kept in perfect peace. You have peace. It's very similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. The Isaiah passage says it's perfect peace. Paul says it's a peace that passes understanding. And so what you may need right now is peace because you're anxious. And God is your refuge. God is your rock. God is your ever-present help in times of trouble. Are you finding that refuge? Are you finding that strength in Christ alone? And is He giving you the peace that passes understanding? I'll admit, there's a lot of anxiety going around. There's, I'll be real honest with you. I've had my ups and downs. There's, there's days where you, you watch the news all day long and you're on Facebook and you're on the internet and you're just kind of sitting in your home and you're about to go crazy because of all the things that are filling your mind. And then you just be, kind of become discouraged and despondent. And then you just have to step back and realize I'm drowning here in, in information. I'm drowning in Facebook. I'm drowning in social media. All of these things are coming at me. I just got to step away from this, and I've got to look to Jesus. I've got to trust in the Lord. He's my rock. He's my foundation. He is my refuge. Okay, that's the first. Now let's look at the second. This is in verses 4 through 7. So the second way that we can rest in the supreme power of our ever-present Lord is second, we can rejoice in the supremacy of God because He is on His throne. We can rejoice in the supremacy of God because He is on His throne. Now, notice the imagery here again. In verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Now, obviously, in the original context, this is talking about the city of Jerusalem, how God is going to protect Jerusalem against her enemies, these, these nations, these Gentile nations that are raging against Jerusalem. But, but notice that there's a river. There's a river whose streams make glad. So this river is making the city of Jerusalem glad with joy. Now, where do we first see a river in the Bible? Well, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2, where a river flowed, making four rivers. So a, a river, in the biblical metaphors, is a source of blessing, refreshment, restoration. We also see this image of a river at the end of the Bible. We see it in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, and we see it in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 22, 1 through 2. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This water of life, this flowing river. And what's the river doing? What's this flowing water? What's the streams doing? It's making glad the city of God. It's a source of gladness. We see this imagery in Isaiah 33, 21 through 22. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go nor majestic ship can pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. God will save us. There will be this source of of, of this river of life, of, of joy that makes glad. It's very interesting what Jesus says. In John 7, they had that big festival that big feast in John 7, 37 through 38, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Okay, Jesus stands up and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you are thirsty, and I don't mean like I'm thirsty because I need to drink some water thirsty. If you are spiritually thirsty, meaning you understand your sin, you understand your guilt, you understand your desperate need for salvation. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to him and drink. Come to him and believe. Place your faith in him. And once you do that, notice what he says. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus will give you life. Now, back to the psalm here. Why can we be glad? What's the reason for us being glad? Well, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The Most High. It's the name of God, El Yon in the Hebrew. It really means God is the Supreme One. He's the Exalted One. He's the King above all. He's the Supreme Creator, the supremacy of God. He's the Most High God. And notice in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts. The host there is the angelic army. God is surrounded by a huge military force of angels. And so he is supremely on his throne as the most high God and as the Lord of hosts. And because God is absolutely, supremely sovereign over all things, it should bring gladness and joy to our hearts. Now notice what it says here in verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Okay, in the original context here, it's talking about the pagan nations coming against Jerusalem. 
But think about the nations today. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. We live in the United States of America. And things are very shaky right now. You've got a lot of unrest in different states. You've got nations across the world like China. And you've got things happening in Europe, and you've got North Korea, and you've got Iran, and you've got all the nations of the world. And if you just step back, it's like the nations are raging. The nations are tottering. There's unrest. And that could freak you out. And that can make you anxious. Or you can remember what the psalmist here says, He is the Most High God. He is supreme. He is sovereign over all these. He utters His voice, and the earth melts. So, why do we not fear? Why are we not anxious? Why are we not anxious when the nations are raging economically, financial insecurity? Because God is absolutely sovereign on his throne as the most high God, as the Lord of hosts. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. Why do the nations rage? There's that language again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. I think this is the only time in the Bible where it says the Lord laughs. He's up in heaven on his throne looking at all the mayhem that's going on down here with these government leaders that think that they're powerful, and God just laughs and says, listen, you may think that you're in control of all these things, but I'm the one that's sovereignly in charge of it all. I am the most high God. As a matter of fact, he's a mighty fortress. Look there in verse 7. The God of Jacob is our Fortress, a mighty fortress is our God. Now, fortress is a different Hebrew word. We've seen up there in verse 1, God is our refuge, kind of our protector. God is our strength. He gives us the power within to face trials and to go through them. But here, the fortress is, is actually what it, what it is. It's like a strong tower. It's like a high tower that, that you can jump into and be protected from your enemies. A high tower, a stronghold. Okay, let's look at the third, because there's a Selah after verse 7, which gives us a pause. And then the third part of the psalm, verses 8 through 11. Here's the third reason why we can rest securely in the supremacy of the powerful God that we serve, our ever-present Lord. Here's third. We can be secure in God because He will exalt Himself above all earthly powers. We can be secure in God because he will exalt himself above all earthly powers. Now, the psalmist tells us to come behold, verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. What are the works of the Lord? Well, it goes all the way back to creation. It goes all the way back to the Red Sea. It goes all the way back to Joshua taking the Israelites into the promised land. All, all the works of God to remember those things. But then he wants us to think about the future. This is speaking about future judgment. 
For God will make all things right on that final day. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. There's going to be a day where God will end history. Now, in light of God's plan to bring history to an end, to judge the nations, to bring about his rule in his reign, what does he say there? He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, what does it mean to be still and know that I am God? I had to wrestle with this. Because my whole life, I always thought that this meant that as a Christian, I needed to kind of sit there in quiet and solitude and just kind of wait for God to, to speak to me and just to kind of be still before God. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that interpretation. As a matter of fact, Lamentations 3, 22-26 says, "...the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases." His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. But as I began to study this in the context of what the psalmist is saying, I'm not sure if he's telling us to kind of just sit there and be silent before God as, as believers. Actually, I think this is more of a rebuke to the nations that are raging, where God says, sit down and shut up. I'm the one in charge. I'm going to be exalted. I'm going to have the last word. Put down your arms and surrender to me because I am the most high God. Be still. Now, remember when Jesus was on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and there was a major tempest that came up and his disciples were freaking out and he was asleep in the boat. What did Jesus do when he got up out of the boat? He said, hush, be silent, be still. He rebuked the winds and the waves that were raging, kind of the imagery we see here in the psalm, and they got quiet. They had, the wind and the waves had to obey Jesus because he was the sovereign king. So what I think this is saying is that the unbelieving world that's raging, that's out of control, that's coming against God's people, this out-of-control world needs to stop and listen, and shut up, and know that he is God. That Jesus alone is the source of all power, and goodness, and truth, and life. That Jesus is the only way of salvation. I think, now again, I think there's different ways you can take this. I'm not going to be dogmatic, but, but I wonder if this is a message for unbelievers to repent and believe in the Most High God Jesus Christ. 
to lay down their arms of sin and for them to surrender to the king. You see, if Jesus is calling to you right now and he's saying, be still and know that I'm God and you're not a believer in Jesus, that's a command for you to stop and listen and wake up and realize that you are at war with your creator because of your sin. And what you desperately need is to be at peace with your God. So how do you get at peace with your God? You surrender. You shut your mouth. You own up to your sin and you say, I've come to the point where I realize I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I shut my mouth. I'm not going to plead anything except for I'm guilty before a holy God. I know now that Jesus is God and he will be exalted among the nations. See, here's the thing. Jesus is king whether you like it or not. And you may not bow to him as king right now, but one day every single person will bow. So please bow to Jesus now. Do it now. Don't wait. While there's time, while Jesus offers you peace with your creator, would you surrender and be still before God and know that he is supremely Lord and Savior and Jesus died and rose again. Paul says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God, this is talking about Jesus, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed upon him, Jesus, the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The storms of life will come, and COVID-19 is a terrible pandemic, but it is nothing compared to the final judgment where God will come on that final day, and he will exalt himself above all earthly powers. Psalm 57, 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. It's just a reminder there in verse 10 that God wins in the end. He will be exalted in all the earth. He will be exalted over the coronavirus. He will be exalted over all the nations. He will be exalted over all things as the supreme powerful, most high God. And as believers in Jesus Christ, that should give us great confidence that our God is absolutely, supremely sovereign on his throne. But there's something the psalmist wants you to know that's the most important part of this psalm. Verse 1. God is a very present help in trouble. Very present help 
Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. And how does verse 11 end? A repetition. The Lord of hosts is with us. God is with us. God has not abandoned us. Every child of God longs to hear those words of our Savior. I am with you. I'm with you. I'm a very present help in trouble. It's interesting, when you go through and you, and you look at the scriptures, and you look at those great Old Testament people of faith, it's amazing how many times God said to them, I am with you. Think about Jacob. Jacob was that heel-grabbing deceiver that was always deceiving people. He was, he was rebelling against God at every turn. And then when he's at Bethel, he hears these words from God in Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. To Jacob, I am with you. you think about Joseph. Joseph was left for dead by his brothers in the cistern. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, and he was put into prison. Everything you could think of that was bad happened to Joseph. But listen to Genesis 39 too. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. Okay, what about Moses? Moses is there at the burning bush shaking in his boots because he can't speak. And God says, you need to go back to your people and, and go confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Exodus 3.12. But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I will be with you, Moses. What about Joshua? When Joshua stood on the banks of the Jordan River to get ready to cross over, and, and you know Joshua was filled with fear and trembling. Moses was dead. It's time to lead the people. Such a great task. What did God say into Joshua? To Joshua and Joshua 1.5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua, I'll be with you. Moses, I'll be with you. Joseph, I'll be with you. Jacob, I'll be with you. What about David? When God promised David an everlasting covenant, a kingly dynasty, in 2 Samuel 7, 9, I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. David, I have been with you, and I will be with you. Jacob, I'll be with you. Joseph, I'll be with you. Moses, I'll be with you. Joshua, I'll be with you. David, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now, think about the Gospel of Matthew for a moment. How is the birth of Jesus announced? Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's the name of our church. So Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means I will be with you. Okay? That's how Jesus' birth was announced. What were some of Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew? Think about the Great Commission. What were some of the last words Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended back up into heaven? Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible and everywhere in between. And in Psalm 46, we hear it repeated over and over again. The Lord Jesus says to you, I will be with you. Doesn't that give you great hope? Doesn't that give you gladness and security and confidence? I am with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, Jesus says. We think about the words of Martin Luther that we began with. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word... Above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Jesus is the man of God's own choosing. Jesus is the mighty fortress. Jesus is the most high God. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the one who says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is our Emmanuel. COVID-19 pandemics may come and we may have loved ones lost. And we may lose our jobs. And we may experience financial ruin. And we may face extreme days of trial. But Jesus says, I am with you. A mighty fortress is our God. Right now, it may seem that that's not true. You may have a hard time believing that. I don't see it, Pastor Sean. Where's God in charge of this that we're dealing with right now? We don't see the invisible hand of God and how he's working behind the scenes, and he does not have to show us that. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. But I can tell you this, the book of Revelation does tell us how it ends. 
Revelation 11, 15 through 18. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. On that final day, Jesus will have supremacy over all earthly powers. He will bring history to a close, and he will right all the wrongs. And we may suffer right now, the COVID-19 pandemic. And it may seem like Jesus is not on his throne, but he is. But we have the promise that one day, One day. And we don't know when that day is. In the new heavens and the new earth. Where there is no coronavirus. There is no death. There is no dying. There is no mourning or sadness. Jesus will reign supreme on his throne. And we as his people will be in his presence forever and ever. We will truly be with Jesus, and he will be with us. I am with you. He's our Emmanuel. So I don't know what you're going through emotionally, financially, spiritually. Can't look into your hearts, can't even begin to. Only the Holy Spirit can, but I do know from God's word. You and I can rest confident, securely, in the supreme power of our ever-present Lord who promises to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. Let the rivers of joy come flowing out of our hearts because we serve an awesome God. Let's go to Him and pray. Father, I thank you that you're an ever-present help in times of trouble. You are with us. You're our refuge and our strong tower, our fortress, our strength. And Lord, I can't even begin to know what people in our church or maybe those that are watching this are going through right now. The deep fears the deep anxiety, the dark nights of the soul where they are struggling. Lord, sometimes I feel so helpless because I, I can only call or text. And I'm not, I'm not meant to meet all the needs of everybody in our congregation. That's, not, that's, that's humanly impossible. So Lord, I trust you to be a great, powerful source of strength and joy to our church family. 
Lord, surround us with your love and your power during these times. Grant us hope. Grant us strength. Grant us energy. Grant us grace. Would you be merciful upon us? Would you be merciful upon our land? Would you bring this to a close quickly? I ask this in the name of Jesus.